Okay, I'm going to start with um, prayer, and then we'll kind of go from there. Jesus, I ask that you would uh, give me peace today, that you would give me uh, clarity of mind and clarity of speech as I'm trying to communicate this message. Um, I ask that your truth would be what's conveyed and not my ideas. Um, I ask that it would, the message would land as intended. In your name, amen. Uh, so usually, I, I'm not going to lie, I feel the uh, probably the least prepared today. Um, and I don't know if it was just, like I wrote this last night kind of in between like Teddy's cries and Gus's cries. So I don't know if like that's what like was part of it. I don't know what it was. But either way, it, um, I think the other thing that, feels weird to me right now is usually I pick a topic that's like really intense. Like usually I'm like, we're going to talk about God's judgment or about hell or about, like I'm not doing that today. So I, I think I'm thrown off by how, um, I guess I feel lighthearted sort of the messages. So I guess I'm, I feel like I'm off my game cause I'm not like trying to do something that I feel is super challenging, but we'll see. Maybe, maybe something will come out of it. Um, what I wanted to talk about today is stories, um, specifically the stories that we tell ourselves and the stories that we tell other people, because they have a pretty big impact on the way we live. And this all, this whole idea for a sermon out of this came from my mid-year review at work, of all places. So, I, uh, for those of you who don't know, I work at a pet hospital, and. Uh, my background is in, uh, I was in coffee before working at a pet hospital, so I'm still kind of adjusting, even though it's been almost two years, I'm still adjusting to this entirely different world where I have to like mix poop and do all these tests and like, it's just, it's completely different and new to me. And uh, it's been very hard because I have, uh, I haven't been like a super great leader in my hospital because I'm still trying to understand like even what I'm doing. And I don't think most of the people in my hospital see me as a leader. So when I came to my review, I was like, this is probably not gonna go like that well. I don't feel like I'm doing that great of a job. My, the, my boss, the woman who hired me, left the company in April. And this higher up woman has been the person who's like overseeing everything. So I was gonna have my review with her and I was like, this is gonna be really intense because she asks very hard questions that I never know the answers to and I just did not feel prepared going into it. So because she's super high up and super busy, I didn't have the opportunity to meet her face to face. It was just a phone conversation, which I was kind of grateful about because it's, she's intimidating. She's intimidating to me. She's a nice person, but she's intimidating. And we spent a good part of the time talking about um, like where I was at with my goals, where the hospital was at, where we were trending, all that kind of stuff. And she asked, okay, so on our scale of performance, where do you think you fall right now? I was like, based on everything, I kind of think I'm falling at below expectations. Um, and she was like, can you elaborate on that? And I was like, well, there was a time, there was two times where our, I came into the hospital wearing shorts and flip-flops just to do inventory, but apparently that's like not what you're supposed to do and I got written up for that, so I feel bad about that and I haven't met my goals and my team doesn't think I'm doing a good job and all this stuff. And she said, she said, okay, 
Well, I, I didn't put you down as below expectations. I put you down as meets expectations. But I think you've been telling yourself a lot of stories. I think that we have not had a lot of communication because um, of where your hospital is and because of where the company is. We haven't had much opportunity to communicate. And I think in that void, you put a lot of stories that are just not true. You, you thought that I was upset with you for your performance. You thought that I was upset with your, uh, what you felt were your incapabilities. And in that space, you then felt like you were disconnected and then you did things that you wouldn't have normally done if you felt connected. You went into work wearing shorts and flip-flops, which you would have never done had you felt like you were making positive growth. And, um, and it kind of really stuck out to me because I think there's a lot of times where if there is silence in a relationship or between friends or even with God, I think whenever there's a silence, we, we tend to fill it with whatever stories we want to make up and not the stories that are true. Um, so that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today. Um, so I think a lot about the, there's like an old image that they use in cartoons pretty frequently. It's like the guy comes up to a decision and there's like a little angel that shows up on one shoulder and a little devil that shows up on the other. And they always have like the same characteristics as the person, but like one of them's wearing like white and one of them's wearing red and you're like, which one are you gonna follow? And I think that as much as that's like a kind of a silly concept, I think there is like a little bit of truth to that. I think we have situations in our life pop up where one voice is telling us one thing and another voice is telling us the other and whether that comes from God or ourselves or you know like the the id and the superego or you know whatever it may be that's happening in our brains I think that there's something to that that in negative space where there's not sound we fill it with like whatever stories we're feeling and that can have a pretty vast effect on how we view God and how we view our relationships with other people and how we view ourselves. So I don't know kind of how everyone else functions or what experiences they've had, but I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I do believe in like the Holy Spirit and I do believe there is a voice that does communicate with us, like a sort of spiritual presence that came into our lives when Jesus went up into the sky and was no longer on earth. He talks about there being his presence here with us, even though he's physically not here. Um, when Jesus ascended into heaven, there was a period of several hundred years where everyone was like, what, what is this crazy thing that just happened? Like, how are we going to talk about this? How are we going to communicate this message? And a lot of the New Testament is them talking about, like, you need to follow this gospel and not this gospel, and you need to stick to this truth and not that truth. And it's not really finalized until about 400 years after Jesus leaves. That's when Christ's followers were like, okay, well, we need to like agree that these are the books that we're going to follow and these are the teachings that hold true to the gospel. And I'm going to pull some verses out of Second Peter um, that talk about this struggle that they're having. 
So in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it says, That is why I will keep reminding you of these things, even though I know you believe them and have made these truths a part of your lives. And he says later on, For I want to remind you that when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, the anointed, we were relying on what our eyes had seen of his glorious majesty and not on cleverly told fables. So when this was written, it's written by someone who is an eyewitness to to the message of Jesus. Like, this is someone who is saying, we need to, as much as we can, remember our time that he was here with us because it's going to get harder as we go down the line and he's not present and we have to stick to the story in our head because the farther along in time it's going to go, the harder it is that we're going to be able to think about these, these things that we saw with our own eyes. And that's someone who, like, the guy who wrote this, like, saw this all happen. So how much more, 2,000 years later, are we in the same boat where we're like, we need, to, we need to commit a story to our mind and we need to use that story to fill in whatever void of silence there is. I'm pretty sure I saved this person here. I did, okay. So um, I'm also going to read something from... 1 Timothy chapter 4. So it says, and this is kind of the same struggle where Christ has left and they're trying to figure out, okay, what, what are we going to stick to? What are we going to believe? What is the message of the gospel? It says, but even so, the Spirit very clearly tells us that in the last times, some will abandon the truth, the true faith, because of their devotion to spirits sent to deceive and sabotage. And mistakenly, they will end up following the doctrine of demons. They will be carried away through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences, consciences, you know that word, have been branded with a red-hot iron, saying, don't marry, don't eat such and such foods. But God created all these to be received with gratitude by people who hold fast to the faith and really comprehend the truth. For everything God has made is good. That means nothing should be rejected as long as it's received with a grateful heart. For by God's word and prayer, it is made holy. So that first section of it is talking about, like, with the early Christians, they uh, had this message of the cross that they were trying to reconcile with their upbringing, essentially. So a lot of, a lot of the New Testament talks about circumcision, oddly enough, because there's this whole concept of we're all saved under Jesus, but we're trying to convert everyone to Jesus, but what things are we, what, what part of our old faith do we bring with us into that? So that's why they're like, that's why there's so many passages where they say, we don't need to, you guys don't need to circumcise everyone in order to be a follower of Christ because it's for everyone. It's not, it's not you have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. It's we are followers of Christ. So that's kind of specifically what that's talking about because the whole food thing is talking about, um, you know, eating things that, are, have been deemed as no longer safe. What Paul, or I mean what Peter is saying in this situation is, um, is not that everything is wicked. He's saying that everything has been made good under God and you have to, you don't, you don't need to bring things into the new faith that don't belong in the new faith. That's kind of essentially what the first part of the verse is talking about. And kind of as it goes on, says, place these truths before brothers and sisters. If you do, you will be a good servant of Jesus the anointed, raised and fed on the words of true belief, trained in the good instruction you have so clearly followed. 
reject worldly fables, refuse old wives' tales, instead train yourself toward godliness. Although training your body has certain payoffs, goodly, good, goodliness benefits all things. Holding promise for life here and now and promise for the life that is coming. This is a statement that is worthy of trust and full acceptance. This is what we work so hard for. This is why we are constantly struggling, because we have an assured hope fixed upon a living God who is the savior of all humankind, especially all of us who believe. So both of the passages that we read, the one that's in 2 Peter and the one that's in 1 Timothy, uh, they instruct us on how important it is to remember the message, to remember the truth, to remember the things that we saw. Because others are going to come into our lives and they're going to tell us a story that's going to sound similar to it, but is not quite the same as it. They're going to say, here's the message of the cross, but you should also probably do this along with it. Or here's, here's the message of salvation, but because you're human, you should probably also follow this set of rules, or you should probably circumcise yourself, or you should probably, you know, whatever it may be. So that's what these passages are warning against. Um, I think these writers understand that we, in the silence that we experience with God, we put other things in it to make us feel like we are getting close to God, when in fact we are as close to God as we are ever going to be. Um, so I guess what is what is the message of the cross? What is this gospel that we are trying to hold true to? What is this thing we are supposed to put before our eyes and remember? So Jesus, in his own words, before he's crucified, he meets a group of people, and it's kind of the first time that he is talking about how he is a son of God. And he says in John 10, 27 through 30, he says, my sheep respond as they hear my voice. I know them intimately, and they follow me. I give them a life that is unceasing, and death will not have the last word. Nothing and no one can steal them from my hand. My Father has given the flock to me, and he is superior to all beings and all things. No one is powerful enough to snatch the flock from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. So even before the the crucifixion, Jesus talks about the steadfastness of, of Christ. He talks about the steadfastness of the cross, of how permanent this thing is that he's about to do, because he, he says, I have them in my hands, and no one can take them from me. When I was growing up, I had understood the message of the cross to be this. Like, we are saved because of Jesus' sacrifice, um, but because we are human and flawed and are sinners, we have to maintain that salvation. Uh, we have to prune ourselves in order to be fit to go into heaven. Um, and I don't really know that it was, I don't think it was ever clearly spoken out like that to me. It was just kind of the general idea that I got. It was like, yes, we're saved, but like only partially. Like Jesus did most of it, but like we have to, we have to pick up the other pieces and kind of put it together, which is when I read the Bible, there are so many passages that talk about Christ's death being a once-for-all thing, meaning His salvation covers a multitude of our sins, so meaning all of our sins, and no one can snatch us from His hand. So it says, "Nothing and no one can take 
my flock from my hand. I think that includes us. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing that we can do that can put us so far away from the love of God, and there's nothing that we can do that makes us closer to God. Like, that's part of the beauty of the cross, is it's not us, it's Jesus entirely. Like, we didn't do anything to earn it, and we're not doing anything to keep it up. Um, and I think that, I know I, I still struggle with this, because I believe that we are saved entirely, and that we don't need to do anything to, like, upkeep it, or to, there's nothing that we're going to do that's going to make us closer to God. There's things that we can do that will make us feel like we're closer to God or to have better communication with God, but we are as in right a standing of God as we will ever be because of Jesus' death on the cross. There's nothing that we're going to do that's going to make us look better to God, and there's nothing that we're going to do that's going to make us look worse to God. That is, that is the power of the cross. It covers everything. But we're still human beings, and we still have... We, we are kind of like this. We go up and down with our feelings. We go up and down with our beliefs. We go up and down with a lot of things in our life. And I think that when we are in the low parts, we, we fill the void with things that we think might, might bring us closer to God or things that we think might um, put us more in right standing. Um, It talks a lot about, in the Bible, that we are made new creations because of the cross. Um, but we don't live as if we are new creations. I think it is very important that we put the message of the cross at the forefront of our brains. Uh, because without the cross, we tell ourselves stories that are not accurate. Um, Without the, without the cross, we tell ourselves that we are far away from God or that God is angry from us. Without the cross, we tell ourselves stories about how broken and worthless we are, or even, even worse and kind of more terrifying, without the cross, some of us tell ourselves that our prayers and good deeds are somehow more powerful than the cross and that we can earn our salvation. Um, the, the cross has the ability to both exalt us because of what Christ has done for us, but it also has this tremendous ability to humble us because it was Christ and not us who did it. Without the cross being on the forefront, we tell ourselves stories that are not true about the other people that we come into contact with. Because if you think about it, if it's once for all humankind, then our neighbors are as saved as we are ever gonna be. Like everyone is included in that salvation. So, if all have been made new through Christ, we don't, I know I don't, we don't do a good job of interacting with others as if they have been made new through Christ. Like, someone makes a mistake and we're like, well, they were definitely planning to hurt me, or they are definitely, you know what I mean? Like, we're not, we're not viewing ourselves, our God, our friendships, our relationships, we're not viewing it through what happened at the cross, I'm going to read one more big, long verse that I think kind of talks about all of it. Um, so this takes place in Corinthians. Um, so it's in Corinthians chapter 5. Um, 
I'm going to start in verse 14. You see, the controlling force in our lives is the love of the anointed one. And our confession is this. One died for all, therefore all have died. He died for us so that we all live. Not for ourselves, but for him who died and rose from the dead. Because of all that God has done, we, are now, we now have a new perspective. We used to regard... We used to show regard for people based on worldly standards and interests, but no longer. We used to think of the anointed in the same way, but no longer. Therefore, if anyone is united with the anointed one, that person is a new creation. The old life is gone, and see the new life has begun. All of this is a gift from our creator God, who has pursued us and bought us into a restored and healthy relationship with him through the anointed. And he has given us the same mission, the ministry of reconciliation, to bring others back to him. It is central to our good news that God was in the anointed, making things right between himself and the world. This means he does not hold their sins against him. But it also means that he charges us to proclaim the message that heals and restores our broken relationships with God and each other. I think what the message of the cross does is it shows us how weak and meaningless we are, but it also shows us how worthy we are. It, it, I mean, it's really where we talk a lot about grace. It's really where it shines through because there's nothing that we could ever do that would make us more right with God. And there's also nothing that we could ever do that would put us farther from God. Because if he says, the flock is in my hand and nothing and no one can take them from me, that puts tremendous power in us to, uh, instead of filling that void with all the stories about what we don't like about ourselves or our mistakes or those sorts of things, we can put the cross in that place. And that is what helps us to to understand God better, it helps us to understand ourselves better, and it helps us to be in good relation with everyone who's around us, both our, our friends and our enemies, because the message of the cross is we are all included. And sometimes that's, I think, the hardest pill to swallow is if I'm, in, if I'm included and everyone's included, I am the most valuable and I, am not, I don't have any more value than anyone else. But... Um, I think it's crucial that instead of filling the silence with all the haves or have-nots or whatever emotions are making us feel like we are separate from God, I think it's important to remember we're putting ourselves in that spot. We didn't, we're not out of God's hand. We're still in God's hand. We're just behaving as if we're not in God's hand. We never left it, and no one's going to take us out of it but we have to keep that in our minds or we're going to behave like we've never been there. I'm going to uh, pray and then we'll kind of go from there. Jesus, I ask that you would continue to show us in every day how powerful the thing that you did was and that you would, that you would help us to realize how secure we are in you and that you would help us to realize how secure our neighbors are in you. Um, we pray that 
you would continue to use us to, uh, to show others your goodness and to show others that, that grace that you showed us. Um, in your name we pray. Amen. So for discussion questions...